I'm Marcia of Markets of Sunshine. Aloha. My name is Malia K of Malia K Bag. Hi, I'm Vivian of Soulful Vintage. Hi, this is Joanna from Rain Girl Design. Hi, my name is Alora of Alora Studio. Hi, I'm Bobby. And I'm Tess. Welcome to the Etsy Success Podcast. We're part of the customer content team here at Etsy, broadcasting from Etsy's headquarters in Brooklyn. The Etsy Success Podcast is your source for tips on improving your shop and for inspiration from your fellow sellers. Our goal is to empower, inspire, and motivate you to be the entrepreneur you want to be. This podcast is powered by Etsy, where millions of people around the world connect to make, sell, and buy unique goods. Follow your passion and start your Etsy business today. So I'm really excited about today's topic because we're going to be talking about vintage. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) The reason that I even signed up for Etsy was because I saw a pair of vintage boots that I just needed to have in my life. (laughs) So have you ever bought anything vintage on Etsy, Bobby? Yes, actually, I was looking into my order history because I knew we were going to be talking about this today. And the first item I ever bought was a vintage necklace. So yes, I'm very into the vintage jewelry. Nice. Yeah, there are a lot of unique challenges that come with selling vintage. Like, for example, you have to do all this research into the pricing because every item is different that you're selling. And you do need to create a whole new listing for everything um, with photos. And then there's also kind of figuring out shipping with items that might be fragile. Yeah, so there's a lot to navigate there. But it's also really rewarding because so many antiques have a really rich history. And I just love discovering all the special stories behind all the items. Yeah, and our guest today actually has a lot of experience with telling those stories and telling the rich history of those items. Yeah, her name is Timia Grimsberger. She's the owner of the Etsy shop Mighty Vintage. She opened her business in 2011 in Berlin and quit her day job two years later to focus on Mighty Vintage full time. In 2015, she launched a second Etsy shop for her stationery products called Mighty Paper Shop, and it's already made over 4,500 sales. Today, she juggles both businesses, curating vintage goods and stationery from all over Europe. So it's great to have you with us today, Timia. Thank you for having me. So when did you first discover your love for vintage? It was always there. I grew up in a home that was really excessively decorated with 70s florals, so My mom loved everything about that era. We had florals on the walls, on the wallpapers, on the carpet, and the wildest colors, red, orange, yellow, everything. So it was always familiar to me. And later on, I also loved to mix vintage because I always felt that when you had just bought pieces, new pieces, it didn't feel really like home. And if you put something in there that was vintage or older as I used to call it back then (laughs) it felt like home it also added some character and they were the stories so if you looked at it you always could imagine what this piece had experienced and that's what I love about vintage that it leaves so much room for the imagination tell me about how mighty vintage came to be I turned 30 I started to ask myself Is this what you want to do with your life? I had this idea that I wanted to have something of my own, something that I had built. This idea just just didn't leave me, and I thought about it. I walked around with it for months, and I knew Etsy for 
quite a long time via all kinds of blogs that I read and I loved it. One night I was selling something off eBay that I had in my home that I didn't really wanted to have anymore, some vintage piece. And I realized that I didn't really like eBay and it wasn't really the audience for my pieces. And it just clicked. And I thought, hey, I could do this. I could sell vintage on Etsy. This idea came into my head and it was like like a fever from that moment. I just couldn't stop thinking about it. So when you quit your day job as an assistant to focus solely on your shop, what was that like? Well, it took me a while. I mean, yeah. <laughs> the business grew pretty fast. And then I realized I had to make a decision. I started to think about what it would be like to quit. I mean, it sounds easy, but it was really a big step for me and uh, was really hard to let go of that security. I took this leap of faith. Germany is very much rooted in this society is not really encouraging people so much to open their own businesses. So you didn't get a lot of feedback that said, okay, do this. It's great. It's cool. You just had to really get that courage out of yourself and friends and family also helped me but it, it took me one and a half years actually to let go of it. How long did it take for you to feel confident that you had made the right choice? Oh that was instantly actually. <laughs> oh. It was so exciting. It was a relief to some degree because I had the feeling I could finally put all my effort into it and start new, start fresh and that was really amazing. I never looked back, never regretted it. I'm a big vintage fan as well. So I think it's especially cool to see different symbols that have such a history. What I love is the, the history behind the designs. So designs rarely come out just out of thin air. There is a reason behind this kind of design and how it developed. For example, in the late 50s and early 60s, there was a certain style in Germany um, that was very playful and very light. And it was a kind of a party accessory a lot of party accessories and all kinds of items for hosting because after the war, economy started to grow again and people, they didn't want to look back on that time. They didn't have a lot of money, so they didn't go to a restaurant or a ball or anything. They just gave dinner parties for friends at home, but it had to be in style. Mm. And so for that era, you find a lot of pieces that are exactly for that purpose. Uh, when I discovered that during my research, I, I love facts like that. How do you go about actually like researching the prices? Like, is it all found kind of online? Of course, I check online what, what the competition does, but pricing is also something very unique, the way you look at things, because there's much more going into it. First of all, of course, the condition it is in. If it's in a very good condition, then it's worth more. Or if you have to put a lot of work into it, then you have to price it higher to make it work time-wise. Is it very much sought after? It's not enough to see that somebody else is putting it in for this and this amount. So um, you always have to look at things individually and from your point of view, price-wise. And your audience, because mm -hmm. audience is, I think, the biggest factor when it comes to pricing. Sotheby's may be selling something similar, but they have a very <laughs> different audience from me. And also you adjust a lot. It's not like one price is set in stone. I also put things online and they were sold after eight hours. And then I realized, oh, damn, it was way too cheap. 
And it also, again, what kind of context you put it in. I mean, maybe a piece on eBay is shown just on a table with all kinds of clutter and the photograph is really dark and maybe I style this piece and put it in a context and help people to imagine what it could look in their own home and write a nice text to it that has some allure and then it has a higher price tag. Yeah. Another aspect of selling vintage that can be kind of tricky is shipping. What's your strategy there? Pack it as carefully as you can, maybe overdo it. I mean, I pack the hell out of things, really they're safe for the next world war <laughs> and and maybe I overdo it but it arrives safely what I learned the hard way is don't wait too long to invest in an assistant that it could help you to ship and package because it takes so much time and effort and energy out of your everyday job that you have to do that could be invested in a much better way so you have to just pack it as much as possible so that it will just not even move in the, the box. Yeah, I, I just had something um, last week that came back from Colombia. It looked like a herd of elephants ran over it, played football with it, and then sat through a whole dinner on it. <laughs> so, But the, the thing was intact, uh, the piece in it. So prepare for the worst. Prepare for elephants. What have you learned about photographing your vintage items? If you can convince the buyer in this one split second that he sees your item on the thumbnail in the grid with all the other things, then it's over. You have to use that second when you, you manage to awaken the curiosity into, in the buyer mm -hmm. and he clicks on it, you won. <laughs> then, then you have a chance and I think you have to put everything you can into this thumbnail many people um, maybe don't have the imagination or don't have the experience with vintage for, for us it's normal to see beyond the object itself mm -hmm. but um, you have to actually take this thing that you found where maybe just you see the beauty in it and take it out of context and put it into a new context and a high quality context and a high price context. Because sometimes I drag something home from the flea market and most people look at me like I'm lost my mind, literally. <laughs> and I say, no, wait for it, wait for it. And I style it and show them a photo and they're like, ah, okay, I get it. <laughs> and this is what you want in the buyer. You, you, you take it out of this shabby flea market context and put it into this styled editorial chic context where you spark the imagination. You make the buyer curious about this object and they start to realize that, oh, wow, this could look great in my home. This is what you want. You want to awaken this desire and the buyer that, yes, this item is really magical. It's just, just, just helping their imagination to, to see the hidden beauty in things. What are the similarities and the differences between your two shops? Both have to be curated very carefully. Mighty Vintage is rather rustic and it has bold colors and this tongue-in-cheek humorous style. I wanted to have something there that, that felt like home and felt like lived in, but not like in an antique store that you wouldn't dare to touch anything. But um, I mean, my two papers branding is much different. It's much lighter and I'm not shy about colors at all with my tea paper. 
it it should appear to the buyer that it's not a hard decision to let these products into your life because with with um, vintage you always think about ah oh, would this match and is it the right size and da, da, da. and with stationery you you just have fun and let it in and appreciate something of high quality and good style that you could use every day when you're working but for both brands i still have this that they have to have this twist this quirk mm -hmm. and to not take yourself too seriously <laughs> with your consumption so you made over 4000 sales in only 2 years with your paper shop so why do you think that it took off so quickly people don't write anymore they sit at the computer they work on their smartphone and as soon as these things are shut off it's all gone from their life, but they still are longing for something that remains, something of high quality that maybe they can use for a long time, maybe that they could be an heirloom, something like that. And um, so there is a general need for good stationery. People like something that they can touch. The digital world is coming much more into our lives. You can reverse it to a certain degree, but you can't really make it non-existent. But at the same time, people need, have the need to compensate for all that. They look for things that are made by hand, for example, or that are just slower. Writing with ink is the slowest thing I can imagine. It's <laughs> slow living and it's um, mindful. What's your experience with Etsy Teams been like? Oh, very good. Uh, there is a great team here in Berlin and... I don't think I would have ever quit my day job if I if it hadn't been for those people who who pushed me and said you can you can do this this will work out and also you have to surround yourself with people who already made it who are already living this kind of lifestyle yeah that you want to live it's of such high value so I can't stress it enough <laughs> um, absolutely connect I've heard you say that you've heard a lot of heartwarming tales about vintage in the past. Could you tell me about one? A girl wrote me, a woman wrote me that she found this baking dish in my shop and she was over the moon. It was a really cool glass baking dish. She had the very same baking dish for 20 years and she got it from her grandmother who used to be a baker. She broke it accidentally oh. and she, she was in tears about this baking dish. She couldn't stop looking for one online. She found it in my shop and she just wrote me a very heartwarming thank you. This says all about vintage that I actually never could. It usually starts on an emotion. I sold a chart, these black botanical charts, and it was one um, from a canola plant. And the woman also wrote me who bought it, and she's so happy about it because she was born in Germany and had to leave when she was little. And every day when she walked to school back in Germany, she walked by this field of canola, and she couldn't forget this field ever. I love that. It's about memory, about nostalgia, and about feelings and family and connection. Yeah. How does it feel when, when you're able to kind of do that for other people, when you get to reunite people with really special pieces from their past? It's very satisfying. It feels like for that day, the world is a good place. <laughs> it makes me feel whole. Yeah. 
Now it's time for the lightning round. We've asked other sellers from the Etsy community on the forums and our social channels to submit questions for you. So are you ready? Yes. Lynn Davey from Nematan wants to know, do you have any tips for photographing shiny items, particularly silverware, and still having a clean white background? First of all, don't be afraid of shiny things and don't be afraid of reflections. Reflections are not a bad thing, but it's absolutely key that you photograph when there is no sunshine out because you get a lot of weird light there that you don't want. So use a day that it's cloudy. It's light enough, but it's cloudy. So you don't have any weird yellowish or bluish light there. And maybe don't use white, but just a light gray. And don't be afraid of your own reflection in the item. It's not a bad thing. The, the people know that there is a seller and not a machine behind it. Yeah. M.M. from Fashion Passion wants to know, you have a very large number of items for sale. Would you share your tips for keeping your inventory organized? I have about seven or eight shelves about the height of the room, and they're all numbered. Also, the shelves themselves, each of them is numbered, and every item is numbered. So a piece that is done with photographing and is online and just waiting to be packed and shipped is on a shelf. I have the number of the item and it's in a list. And next to this number of the item is the place of the shelf. It's very easy. And also I don't have a special kind of category system like vases or bags because the good thing with this system is that if you have space in that specific shelf or box and you just put it there, it doesn't matter if it matches the rest of it. So you can use the space that you actually have. Hmm, that's a really good system. Janesville USA asks, I'm hoping to open my first Etsy shop soon. What words of advice would you offer to help a newbie keep their spirits up and be positive about success? Getting used to not being satisfied with the results. <laughs> Just get used to it. It will never leave you and don't feel disencouraged by it. Just try to improve and try to get better because at the beginning, it's all a lot to take in. Don't compare yourself too much with the really good shops or the ones that you look up to. Look at your own shop and how you can improve. For sure. Thank you so much for joining us today, Timia. We really loved having you. It was my pleasure. Thank you. Before we go, we'd like to leave you with Shop Talk. For each episode, we'll post in the forums and on the Etsy Success social channels asking a new question for you to answer by calling in or emailing us a voice memo. For this episode, we asked you to tell us about your first sale. Here were a few of our favorites. Hi, this is Mimi of Boutique Mix, and when I got my first sale, I was super excited. It was three days after I opened my shop, and it was to a celebrity. She bought three items, and I just uh, stalked her on Instagram because I couldn't believe that I made my first sale to a celebrity, and that I sold anything on Etsy, so I was super excited. Hi, I'm Blair of Blair Nadeau Millinery in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. I'm calling about my first sale. I remember it was a few years back. I was at a photo shoot for a very high-end bridal magazine in uh, Toronto or in Canada, and I was sitting there, and an email came through on my phone, and I checked it and took a look at it, and it was my first Etsy sale from a bride in Ottawa. And I remember standing there, dropping the phone, because it had been four months since I launched and I hadn't had a sale yet. And all my friends turned around, they're like, are you okay? What's happening? And I'm like, I just got my first Etsy sale. And 
I jumped up and down. I was dancing. I was laughing. I was crying. And it was pretty amazing because I was there with friends who were all creative artisans, and we hugged, and, you know, it was just an awesome experience because I was with other people that understood. They all got it. Hi, this is Stephanie Lawton from Pink Cottage Soap. And my first sale was to a woman on the hip replacement forum because I started my Etsy shop after having both my hips replaced. And I was writing about it on this forum, and a woman came on and said, my daughter has an Etsy shop, and if you want to make a sale, you need reviews. So I'll buy a bar of your goat's milk soap. And she went over and bought a bar and left a nice review, and she was right because I didn't have any very many views or sales, and things improved from there, and I added a lot more soap and kept building my clientele. But it was a very exciting day, and I still get so excited whenever I make a sale. Be sure to keep an eye on the forums and the Etsy Success social channels for ways to participate in a future podcast. That's it for this episode. Thanks for joining us. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate us and leave us a review. We really appreciate it. And remember to subscribe so you'll be the first to know about new podcast episodes.